For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson with another readout video from our Wednesday Wake Up email newsletter and a warm welcome to the more than 5,000 people who've become video subscribers in the last month alone. I also want to thank everybody who supports our work and all of those who are buying our merchandise. It helps us to bring you these videos on which I'd also like to mention we've now had more than 9 million views. So this week we kick off with a popularity index that suggests that we've had even more views than we actually have. Now, if that strikes you as cheating, consider that in attempting to convince us that we've all succumbed to heat stroke, the media are suddenly measuring temperature in a whole new way as well, or rather, two whole new ways. And whereas real scientists are very suspicious of apparent changes in trends that coincide with discontinuities in data sets, most journalists are, how shall I put this, not climate scientists. So, they've suddenly started using this mysterious heat index, where it's suddenly 150 degrees Fahrenheit instead of 100, or would be if pigs had wings, which melted like those of Icarus. And for bad measure, they're also suddenly presenting land surface temperature instead of the traditional ambient temperature, which is around head level, and the reason is it's warmer right down at the ground, which is not level-headed. Heat index, the U.S. National Weather Service explains, is, quote, a measure of how hot it really feels when relative humidity is factored in with the actual air temperature, end quote. No, it's not. It's how hot it would really feel if it was hotter than it is. I mean, for their information, it's not the heat, it's the humidity was a cliché more than 60 years ago. But in terms of sowing climate panic, this approach is just dishonest. Because if you want to know whether things are worse today than in the 1930s in some American city, for instance, you'd need to know what the heat index was on the earlier date. Otherwise, you're just being buffaloed or phoenixed or something. Possibly scorched, because another new habit is referring to every hot day as scorching, searing, and so on, also known as getting burned or boiled. As we mentioned previously, alarmists can't get enough of boiling oceans, even though none are actually to be seen. So they dispatch ever-escalating rhetoric to do the job of absent facts. A particular favorite of UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres, who announced that global warming has ended. We want to say, yeah, years ago, dude, remember, you replaced it with climate change. But he says that, quote, the era of global boiling has arrived, end quote. What's astounding about this rubbish isn't just that he said it, it's that one media outlet after another amplifies it instead of scrutinizing it. Reuters Sustainable Switch emailed credulously, quote, the era of global boiling, end quote, and the Washington Post even ran an analysis whining that, quote, as the world boils, a backlash to climate action gains strength, end quote. Or maybe as the rhetoric gets more unhinged, people understandably begin to doubt the whole narrative, especially since their energy costs are soaring, which they were promised wouldn't happen. But if the world were actually boiling, we promised that people would not be sitting around writing opinion pieces about the temperature. In the newsletter, we also said it was hard to understand why there isn't widespread concern over headlines like, quote, deep sea mining may soon ease the world's battery metal shortage, end quote, even if the economist then insists that, quote, taking nickel from rainforests destroys 30 times more life than getting it from the depths, end quote. How would they know that? Especially since we're, we aren't yet getting it from the depths. How could you possibly measure how much life it's destroying? And another thing. Humanity's approach to fishing out the world's oceans doesn't inspire much confidence in our capacity to be responsible stewards of the seabed, although I suppose it could be argued that there's 
a lot less out there to kill already thanks to our bottom trawling and other such practices like, say, putting wind farms in endangered whale habitat, to name just one. And on this subject, we want to credit one environmentalist who objected to this hyperventilating about vacuuming the seabed for masses of minerals for the batteries the so-called energy transition requires because, quote, deep sea mining could wreck more than just the ocean floor in ways we have no idea how to repair, end quote. Exactly. Climate is a lot more complicated than most alarmists let on. And now, I'm going to interrupt myself briefly to ask you please to help support our work. Because here at the Climate Discussion Nexus, we don't get lavish government grants, we don't get big foundation money, and contrary to what our critics say, we're not in the pocket of the Koch brothers. We're dependent on our viewers and our readers to make a pledge, one time or monthly, big or small, just click here, a cup of coffee a month, that's what it takes to help us keep producing these videos and our newsletter and pushing back against the climate alarmist steamroller. And now, back to me. In the newsletter, we also indulged in I Told You So, as AP reported that, quote, a fire on a freight ship carrying nearly 3,000 cars was burning out of control Wednesday in the North Sea, killing one crew member and injuring others, the Dutch Coast Guard said, end quote. But that story fibbed that of the 2,857 cars on board, 25 were electric, quote, making fighting the flames more difficult, end quote. The real number of EVs was almost 500. And while we've made fun of Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau flying hither and yon in private planes to trivial events at which, almost without exception, he warns of carbon pollution causing climate change, we added in the newsletter that it's worse than you think, because the planes he uses aren't your typical tycoon's private jet fit for you and half a dozen special friends or so. They're vast Airbus A330s that can carry over 200 people. In the newsletter, we also dipped into our settled science file for former BBC environmental analyst Roger Harabin, whose expertise is based on having studied English at Cambridge, who wrote in The Guardian under the headline, quote, What frightens me about the climate crisis is we don't know how bad things really are, end quote. So, all those model predictions that allegedly came true, or the predictions that Al Gore and other activists made up on the fly, they don't tell us anything, even though they're gold, gold. And the ones that they're now making don't tell us anything either, so we'd better believe them and act on them? Is that how it works? We then sat squirming through an embarrassing scene that further underlined the curious mix of certainty and vagueness of climate alarmist policymakers. It involved Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana questioning Deputy U.S. Energy Secretary David Turk on May 23rd as to when Turk thought the U.S. could reach carbon neutrality. The senator was told 2050. So then he asked how much it would cost and got the reply, quote, So the cost that I focus on even more is all the cost that will happen if we don't get our act together, end quote. And despite the senator's best effort to get actual numbers, all Turk would say is that one figure that he couldn't name was definitely a lot bigger than another one that he also couldn't name. And finally, the senator declared in exasperation, You don't know, do you, Mr. Secretary, end quote. No, he doesn't. But it's not exactly deliberate evasion. Rather, it's how alarmists talk among themselves. And they're not challenged from the outside by the press, and they don't challenge one another, and they brush off skeptics as deniers. And they do it all because they're so certain they're right that the details just don't matter anymore. In the newsletter this week, we also presented another entry in our review of the Clintel analysis of the recent IPCC report. This one was Ole Hunglum's chapter on sea level trends. 
We like having fun on that topic, and evidently so does Humlum, because he compares simple extrapolation of past trends in Scandinavian sea levels with projections in the IPCC report, and it's one of those things that has to be seen to be disbelieved. Humlum used an online projection tool at the IPCC's own website to show its forecast of future sea levels. And he even picked one of the moderate emission scenarios so as not to be accused of exaggerating, though the IPCC itself leans on the ludicrous RCP 8.5. But even so, the tool shows that declining sea levels are suddenly going to break away from observed data and rise inside a computer. Shorting the thing out, we hope. In the newsletter, we also admit that we fell for some climate misinformation and disinformation in one of our recent items. We made reference to an article in the supposedly respected by all the top experts peer-reviewed medical journal The Lancet, which correctly, and nowadays slightly bravely, showed that cold weather kills 10 times as many Europeans as hot weather does. But we failed to warn readers that like many prominent science journals, when The Lancet publishes studies on climate change, they're prone to including highly manipulated graphs that misrepresent the data to make it look scarier than it really is. So. Here's the graph as published by The Lancet. And sure, the blue bars showing cold deaths are bigger than the red ones a bit. But the dirty trick here is that the blue ones are compressed so that each tick represents 50 deaths per 100,000 person years, whereas on the hot red side, it's just 10. For shame. We are grateful to Bjorn Lomberg, who spotted the scam this time and created this chart showing the real situation with the same scale on both sides of the horizontal axis. And we apologize for trusting The Lancet and would like to take this opportunity to correct the record on our behalf and theirs. Finally, we dip into the CO2Science.org archive for a study of the impact of temperature change on years of life lost, which is YLL to actuaries, years of life lost to cardiovascular disease in Ningbo, China. And it turns out that right now, cold causes 16 times as many YLL as heat does. So, if the world really does warm, lives will once again be saved. For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, and I know that changing how you measure temperature doesn't actually make the world hotter. Thank you.